Welcome to The Art of Relationships. This podcast is produced by the Biola University Centre for Marriage and Relationships. For additional resources on healthy relationships like videos, blogs or events near you, visit our website at cmr.biola.edu. Welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. With me is Dr. Tim Yohoff and I'm Dr. Chris Grace and Tim, we've been doing this podcast now for a couple of years. Has um, it really been? Like, what, three years? Yeah, three-some three, three some years. We have, I think, over 100 episodes out there. Oh, wow. Um, Tim, it's been really fun to be able to do these together. It's been great. And uh, I think one of the joys that we get is um, by asking uh, for listeners to write in. And they do. And so listeners out there, thank you. Um, If you want to know how to write in your questions, and we can answer them, Tim, uh, and we'll do a number of those today. In fact, let's do that. But if you want to know how to do that, you just go to the Center for Marriage and Relationships, which is cmr.biola.edu. And you can find all kinds of things there, right? Podcasts, uh, blogs that Tim or I or others have written. Uh, We have events. Uh, and now we have Zoom and virtual events going on yeah. and some cool things happening. Uh, but we also um, provide resources as well uh, that are for those that might be struggling and hurting. Uh, so we have some free relationship advice for people. Yeah, nothing's easier than fixing other people's relationships or raising other people's kids. <laughs> That's nothing's exactly right. easier. <laughs> That's right. Just let us at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let us at them. So, Tim, um, let's take some of these questions from listeners. And um, one of the things that uh, we can do is um, spend some time just addressing a couple of themes. Uh, Let's start with uh, maybe a theme here. Um, This person wrote in and and asked this, how do we move past fear of intimacy with a spouse? And so... um, I'll let you start um, by just saying the way I interpret the question is there are many spouses, many people who are married who intimacy is hard for them. And they might be newly married or they've been married for a number of years. But uh, the problem is, is just this fear that they have. Yeah. And Chris, this is where I think we do a number on people. I I think we idealize marriage just too much. We were, did premarital counseling with this one couple, and uh, they saved themselves. They were both virgins. Uh, they got married, and then I, I take my hats off to this couple because four months later, Chris, they called us and said, we'd like to get together. And we thought, oh, this would be great to get together and kind of celebrate. And we sat down with them, and they said, hey, things are going well, but sexual intimacy is not what we thought. Uh, it's kind of awkward. Uh, We're not pleased really with it. Mm -hmm. You could just see they were agonizing. and Even just how to talk about it. Even how to talk about it. Because Chris, what do we say? Save yourself from marriage. I've heard marriage conference speakers say this. Save yourself from marriage. And then guess what? It'll all take care of itself once you get into the bedroom. God will honor it. And sex is pretty natural. And uh, I just would say, I, I, I would disagree with that. We find out in marriage that sex is really complicated because it's a ton of things. It's a diagnostic for the entire marriage. And um, a lot of couples have never read a good sex book. And there's some great ones out there. Between the Sheets uh, is one that comes to mind. 
you need to, you need to find out about each other's anatomy. You need to understand by trial and error. And uh, what, what does my wife say when she, we speak at marriage conferences? She read a book that said, having a mutual orgasm is like trying to organize a sneeze together. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that. So I, I so appreciated this couple just saying, what are we doing wrong? And I said, you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. This is trial and process and you're learning about each other. And sorry if, if somehow the church or Hollywood gave you an over-idealized view of what sexual intimacy would look like yeah um so i think those that's great advice there's a a, books out there we have a you know a blog on this Mm -hmm. another book uh sheet or sheet music oh is that what i was thinking of i think i'm thinking of sheet music yeah sheet music yeah yeah. sheets that's (laughs) fine both use the same kind of analogy there i guess a little bit but who knows what the other one is (laughs) if there's a book like that do not get that book that has not been vetted by the cmr (laughs) no no sheet Sheet music Can you imagine? No, I yeah, I found this one, and it was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ladies, you know, that's Tim Muehlhoff that oh, recommended this, yeah. not, not the other guy. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I think the the problem with intimacy always boils down to this, to conversation first and communication. Tim, there are so many other issues that are probably going on here. And I think couples have to really learn that a lot of the intimacy that takes place is much more than physical intimacy. It's this vulnerability, it's emotional intimacy, it's being myself, it's the fear of not being judged or criticized. And I think in a marriage in which you have alleviated some of those fears by having good patterns of communication and being able to talk. I think what happens, Tim, is couples learn to be emotionally vulnerable with each other really is one of the keys to having intimacy in the physical realm. And so we would oftentimes recommend to couples work on intimacy in these other areas, what it means to be vulnerable, naked to somebody and still feel accepted and heard and loved and understood. Man, that leads leads to some amazing things. Yeah, I'm not gonna mention the name of this couple, although they're on the speaker team of Family Life Ministries, just like the Graces are, brand new members to the team. And Noreen and I have been doing it for 26 years. we're the authors of Between the Sheets. Uh, <laughs> no, we are not. So there's a couple on the team that are a godly couple. They were in full-time Christian ministry, Chris, and they get married, and it totally blindsides them. They can't pray together. Yeah. They can't pray together. They just feel like it's too intimate, or it's, yeah. it seems forced. And, and, uh, and what I love about this couple, they still struggle with it. And they say that from up front to ballrooms full of people. So that would be another thing I would say to this couple. You and I have been in this marriage group for probably, I don't know, 10 years, Mm -hmm. Chris. And it's so good to have other couples that you can say, we're struggling. And I think it's great for another couple to come along and say, man, we did too, right? And let's add spiritual battle for the heck of it. Greatest thing Satan likes to do is isolate a couple. Isolate them and say, you're the only one who's struggling with intimacy to pray together or sexual intimacy or emotional intimacy. That's one of Satan's favorite tactics. Remember, he, he didn't separate Adam and Eve physically. He separated them psychologically. Right. And so to, to separate you as a couple, uh, isolate you. And in COVID, 
this is, you know, this is easy to do is to get isolated in COVID. Make sure you're going to couples that you trust and just being vulnerable with them. No, that's good. I, I, I love that, which kind of leads, I guess, in some ways to this next question. Another person wrote in, Tim, and said, how do you receive criticism in a productive way without becoming defensive or taking it personally? And I, here, the reason I think it's tied in is First of all, how do you receive criticism? Well, nobody receives criticism <laughs> in a positive way, you know, in almost no case. Yeah. Now, constructive feedback or mm. something that is maybe less what we would use instead of the word criticism, it might be, well, Tim, let's get, let's come up with better words than that. If someone wants to say, I've been thinking about, honey, I'd like to talk about something with yeah. you, and, and this is hard, and I've been praying about it, right? Mm -hmm. Criticism that's done in a certain context um, changes the way it's received. And if it's done in a humble way, in a spirit of generousness, just a spirit of mm -hmm. kindness and generosity, right? Then a criticism can be seen very differently or felt and received very differently. So first of all, I think it starts with the person who's presenting the criticism. Yeah. And, and again, we would call this you know, different words, you know, and it all has different meanings. But to receive criticism really starts, I think, with the person giving it. Yeah, the Harvard Negotiation Project just released a book, I think it was two years ago, called Between the Sheets. No, I, that's it. That's the last, <laughs> last joke. Last one, no more. That was it. I'm cutting myself off. They wrote, wrote a book called Thanks for the Feedback. Mm -hmm. and, and, and one chapter was why we're resistant to it, feedback. Yeah. And I think some of that is if you're in a, a career and in industry where you get a lot of feedback or criticism, like you and I are professors, right, Chris? We get, we get um, idea evaluations at the end of every semester. Students uh, will have a... a opinion of our class. We have to turn in an annual review every year in which our chair and dean weigh in. Then there's this godforsaken website called ratemyprofessor.com. Right? So understand that your spouse may be walking into your criticism with a lot of negative examples. And last thing I need is to walk home and get what I just got at the office or at work. So I do like the term feedback. Can I provide some feedback on how I think things are going with finances? Can I uh, provide some feedback about the kid's schedule? And then again, I would implicate myself in that and not just say, hey, let me give you some feedback, yeah. but maybe uh, generalize it to here's some feedback about us um, and then have a conversation. But again, I, part of me also wants to say, Chris, it's time to grow up a little bit, right? I mean, if you're married to a person, then I would want that person to offer constructive criticism. And again, tone is everything when you do it. Yeah. So, but, but I think we need to be asking God to use our spouses and eventually our kids. Boy, Chris, can you make some conversations with your kids where they had to say, Dad, I just need to tell you something, man. This is not good when you... But I, I, part of that is, am I teachable? Yeah. Is, I think, probably a good precursor to ask before that happens. <laughs> yeah, that, that is good because... There are always ways and uh, things that all of us want to improve on, and yeah. other people can kind of see that a little bit more objectively sometimes than we can, right? And yeah. oftentimes we are blind to a few of these things. And so I think there is something to this ability to receive, receive this constructive feedback in a way that's 
positive and helpful, again, it, it has a lot to do with the way it's presented. And not even just receive it, Chris, but maybe it would be good every once in a while to seek it out, is to say to your spouse, hey, how am I doing in these certain kind of areas? Let, let me tell you, Chris, let me tell you a really funny story. So we're at a family life marriage conference. It's always a married couple and one other single speaker. So I happen to be at this conference by myself. And I'm listening to one of the male speakers. And he said, men, I challenge you right now. Go home, get your, all your kids and ask them what's one thing you can change about dad if you could change one thing. So Chris, I was all enthused about this. What a great example I'm going to be. I go home, I get the three kids, I sit them all down and said, hey, what's one thing if you could change about dad, what would you say? Now, you probably need some time to think about three hands, shoot up. I don't even get the words out of my mouth. Three hands are up in the air. I said, well, do you need time to think about, nope, got mine, got mine. And I said, what? And all three said, you yelled too much. And part of me wanted to immediately become defensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wanted to say, now, why do you think that is? Mm. Why do you think dad has to yell? I wanted to say to one of them, is your room clean right now? Is it clean right now? Because I asked you it be clean, and it's not. So you know why I yell? Because it gets results. That's why I yell. Now, I had to bite my tongue off not to say any of that. And it was hard to hear, Chris, because yeah. my, my dad was a yeller. Yeah. So here's what I did. I sat with it. Right, And then I jokingly said, hey, we're going to do mom next. And Noreen's in the kitchen going, nope, we're not doing mom next. So then I took the night to sleep on it and pray about it. And then the next day, I pulled them all three together and said, okay, let's have an honest conversation. I should not yell as much. Mm -hmm. But guys, this is a cooperative effort. Mm -hmm. So if, what, what does dad need to do to get you to clean your room mm -hmm. and not yell? Yeah. And we, ha we actually had a pretty good conversation. So sometimes invite Criticism and hey, t tell me how I'm doing is not a bad thing to ask. No, that that's good. And I, you know, a, an author we love, uh, John Gottman, puts together something. He he would actually say it's better to to think of the language of complaints. Mm. Uh, and and so he would even have a complaint formula. If, so you can look it up at some point if you want. But he talks about you want to express how you feel. You talk about, you know, this, this specific situation, like you yell too much. For my kids, it was the same thing. <laughs> we were driving in the car <laughs> and we were kind of getting onto the kids for not saying please and thank you. And, you know, and then, so we, we were real big on you say please, you say thank you. And mm. <laughs> the little six-year-old or five-year-old pipes up, how come dad and mom never has to say please and thank you? And so, <laughs> it was one of those, you know, kind of real interesting complaints. And I had to just realize and come to terms with, I'm telling my kids to do something. And that is you use these words, please yeah. and thank you in your sentences. And when you talk with people and that they called out dad for not having to use it. So uh, I think, Tim, the same thing applies. But anyway, Gottman talks about complaints in, because criticism can actually you know, lead to one of these four horsemen right. of contempt. And so to complain about something is appropriate. I, I can do this in, a, in an appropriate way. I can you know, mention things that you know, there's something about the way, Dad, that you talk, and you're really good and kind with these things, but sometimes you yell too much. Or, yeah. And that's a complaint, and it's valid complaint, yeah. uh, versus a, a, sometimes criticisms can attack our character. Yeah. And when they go at that, and if they were to say, Dad, you're just the worst dad in the entire world. You don't care about us. You don't, you don't care, care about, about, yeah. Yeah, well, that's going at character, and that's what criticism could be really hard. 
And then we should mention, since we're on Gottman, Gottman is famous for saying, have a soft startup, not a yeah, harsh startup. That's great. And here's what happens, Chris, in most of our marriages, I suspect, and relationships. This happens in dating relationships and family relationships. It, something happens and you, you, you sort of want to say something, but for whatever reason, don't. And then it happens again, and you're like, oh, I'm just, now's not a good time. I'm just not going to do it. And then it happens again and again. And then we've all done this, right? We're all like, sit down. (laughs) Sit down right now, because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And you do this, and you do this, you do this, you do this. And uh, that's actually called kitchen sinking, Mm -hmm. right? And that is a harsh startup. So generally speaking, this is what I think Paul's talking about when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, Right. Mm. Uh, so deal with these things before the Lord in a timely way and with each other in a timely fashion. Don't let these things build up and don't blow uh, when you're going to sit down and talk to a person. And here's five things that bug me or I'm so mad that you did this again. Yeah. And, we, we, and, and let me add this. I, 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 COVID has added to this. Right. We, we are at the ends of our wits right now. We, this has been going on for months and months and months. We're on, living on top of each other. And, and uh, you know, this new study came out, Chris. This was just two weeks ago that the divorce rate is up 31 percent where it was this time last year. And get a load of this. Of the 31 percent, 20 percent is couples who have been married five months or less. Yeah. So now I think we're so on top of each other that... I mean, everybody's um, frayed patience. Yeah. So now would be a good time to give each other some grace yeah. um, and just uh, ease into these conversations. That's good. And Tim, I think the same thing that can apply not just in marriages, but in other relationships. When we're talking about criticism and complaints, right? And there, there's things that go on. So um, I think it's different, of course, because you're going to have this conversation in a different context. You know, there's a different level of commitment that you have and trust that you've built up. Um, and so, but but there is criticism that can occur. You know, in all relationships. In fact, let's let's take another you know written question for us that was submitted to us recently, and it says. This is definitely from a single person, and it's about dating relationships and non-commitment. And it says, he wrote, despite being in a healthy relationship, I find myself constantly desiring singleness so I can pursue other women. Is this just a guy thing, or is this a bad sign? So, <laughs> Okay, despite being in a healthy relationship. You know, I guess we'd start there. Let's start with the, what he would, would call this opening salvo of, I'm in a healthy relationship. I would say I wonder if you really are, first mm. of all, mm-hmm. if you're desiring or looking out for other people all of the time or desiring singleness. you got to wonder um, how healthy that might be. Or better yet, you might want to talk about the health of the individual who's maybe writing this question. So, Tim... Sometimes um, we get questions at the CMR on dating and non-commitment mm. and the feeling of inadequacy because they're not quite sure if their partner is in this thing for the long haul and how do they know if this is the right one. In this case, at least they're being frankly, you know, fairly honest that they're constantly, you know, desiring singleness so they can pursue. I, well, first of all, I don't think it's it's a guy thing only. I think it's a human right, thing. Right, right. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. So I would, I want to obviously this, the hard thing about these questions, we love getting them is that we just can't ask questions. Like I'd want to know his age. Yeah. And I think we've done a great disservice to dating today. We don't do a lot of dating. 
And I, I think he, if he's young, then do date. Mm. Like, don't jump in and out of relationships, right? That, that's breaking people's hearts. But it's okay to date broadly. And I wouldn't settle down if you're young and feel like, man, I just want to know what different kind of personalities are out there, who's a good fit for me. At, at the, and again, so long as you're not overcommitting, right, and then breaking up with a girl three months later, then I think it's okay to date broadly. And the older you get, when you finally do settle down with a person, then there is no more looking around. I mean, you've set your... Uh, face forward and you're in this marriage. But I like the idea of dating when you're young. And I just want to want to know uh, how long has he had this wanderlust? And then second, uh, it's okay if you're young. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. So Tim, let's just suppose he's not young. Let's no. suppose he's in his late 20s, which is in a healthy relationship. My guess is... Um, this is clearly needs to come up between the two people because obviously you're leading another person to believe they're in a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with you or mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. When in reality, I would I would question the health. I mean, if a person is, there's always I think comparisons that might go on. You know, second thoughts. You know, we get this question all the time. How do I know this is the one? And I, I'm just not sure. There's other you know people that can draw my eye and my attention. And, I, you know, one of the ways we counsel them is to say, listen, um, there is no 100 percent certainty in life. You move forward and you pray about things and you hope and figure that the person you are with in this relationship, you know, the reason you're dating them is because they have the potential to be that person that you want to commit to. But we probably are never going to get 100 percent assurance. Yeah. And so I but the question is. Maybe how often are these thoughts coming on? Are, are, is this going on only during the rough patches? Uh, oh, you know, good. is this only occurring after an argument that you're like, what would it be like? Well, now you're starting to look at some, I think maybe, Tim, other things that you need to start dealing with disciplines in your life, the ability to forgive or patience or what love is is kind or forgiving. Because if you're not dealing with love is kind, love is patient, love is forgiving, well, pretty soon a person's going to irritate you, it, you know, regardless of the trust and commitment you've made to them. And you have to decide right then and there, I'm committed to this versus forget this, I'm going to start looking around. And that's that's the sign of maybe an uh, immaturity as well. Yeah, two quick thoughts about that. One, I'd be curious if this bled over into other areas, yeah. like career or settling down in one geographic location, and all of a sudden I want to check out other geographic locations, other jobs. That would be interesting. Second, we're going to have a guy on our podcast. His name is Tim Downs. He's an auth- awesome author, um, speaker with Family Life. Chris, we've talked about him doing this so many times that we just got to pull the trigger and have him on. He he calls it the mystique of singleness and the mystique of marriage. Mm. And basically the premise of it, now he'll do a much better job explaining it, is when you're single, there's the mystique of marriage. You make marriage all this great stuff, regular sex, commitment, uh, uh, passionate romance, Uh, But then as soon as you get married, Tim says, now the mystique of singleness comes back. Mm -hmm. And you start to make singleness something it never really was, but now you're married. So guess what? If you were to divorce that person and then jump back into being single, the mystique of marriage would pop its head back up. He does a great job laying out what both look like 
and I think we should have him on. He would love to come on. He would be a great interview. So we got to be careful of that kind of stuff is I'm always got a wandering eye towards what I don't have. And as soon as you get it, you, your eye wanders back to a different area. That's a that's a. By the way, welcome to the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Part of that is life in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. So we just have to be aware of that. Uh, so his name's Tim Downs. He wrote a great book called The Seven Conflicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just an awesome, awesome book. And we'll have him on soon. Tim, we get a similar question. Uh, how, how do you know when you have found the one? And that leads to some very <laughs> interesting debates around here. Uh, and but we get that question all the time, and the one, and you and I probably differ just a little bit on this, but and and it's that that kind of again concern that we all have that maybe we're settling for second right, best. Right, how do right. we know that this is the one, and how long before you can know that? So I think Tim, what's interesting is our stories. You, you dated Noreen for almost two years. It, but we and we were older, and you guys we're had older, a little bit more experience. Worked together, and you guys had a lot of time together, yep, and yep. you still dated for a, a good amount of time. Yeah, versus us, who really we didn't work together, we didn't live in the same state, we barely knew each other right. for a year, right. and knowing that the answer to the one uh, question. Uh, it could take a little bit of uh, stress uh, and emotional kind of fraughtness to just go, how do I know this? I, I, I remember talking to a guy who just constantly found himself in a relationship and never could figure out how he felt um, going forward because he just wasn't sure that this was the one. There were Every time he got to a point where they were getting more and more intimate, he found some critical flaw. So, Tim, the question is... How do you know, uh, basically, if you found the one? So let me mention a Harvard study that's just came out in the past year. I think I, I, you, you read certain studies and they're mind-blowing. We'll, we'll have to put this on our website. So here's what Harvard would say based on their research. You don't find the one. You make them the one. Yeah. The number one determining factor of these Harvard scholars, researchers, came up with is the attitude you have towards your spouse is the single greatest predictor of happiness. So it's not that you find the one and you're like, oh, this person is check, 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 check on my list. Harvard would say, no, 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 you make them the one. You have a positive attitude towards them. You work with them on their, we were just talking about criticism and you help that person grow. But your attitude towards that person is the single greatest thing. So I'm sure some listeners are like, oh, great. So I'm stuck with the person that I'm stuck with. Well, with that attitude, you are stuck with the person that you have. But if you rather say, you know what, through generosity, through appreciation, uh, for speaking affirmative words, uh, I'm going to make this person the one. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If Harvard's right, that's a positive, positive psychology move, right? That's positive psychology. It is, and what I think what that study demonstrated so clearly is something we've known for a long time, and that is you speak into the lives of those near you, mm-hmm. and you get mm-hmm. what you speak into, right? And so when I speak kindness, when I speak you know, forgiveness, when I speak into my spouse or the person I'm yeah. with a generosity, what ends up happening is it comes it, it very much 
it, it, it's just evident that that other person responds in a way that changes them, creates something unique or different in them themselves. And so that's what that study showed was there is a way in which we get the spouse we expect or that we get the spouse that, you know, we speak into, right? Oh, that's a great phrase. We eventually get the spouse we deserve because yeah. we made the spouse. So let me drop a little art history on you right now, <laughs> Dr. Chris Grace. So, you know, generally speaking, the greatest architecture uh, um, sculpture ever created is David by Michelangelo. Do you know that massive white slab of marble had been abandoned for 40 years and there was actually one big uh, accidental cut in the marble but through the great artistry and skill of Michelangelo he turns it into David okay so psychologists yes I'm borrowing from your field (laughs) psychologists now have what they call the Michelangelo phenomenon which is I sculpt you by the way I can sculpt you for good or for bad But I love that phrase, Chris, you eventually get the spouse you deserve because you've really helped create them. So if if you're in a bad situation, man, take a cue from Michelangelo and you're going to be chiseling this person. I mean, think about it. I've been married for 30 years. I've been the dominant voice in Noreen's life. I got to take a lot of um, responsibility, whether she has good confidence or not, whether she feels like she's an attractive woman, a good mother, a good... Uh, wife, right? Now, I don't, okay, I don't want to put, we don't want to go overboard, yeah, right? Yeah. Some people are, right, they're they are human beings with free will and they can reject what you say and nothing you say, you give it your best effort, right? Yeah. But the Michelangelo phenomenon, I think, is really good to remember as you were sculpting this person. That's, that's good, Tim. And I think out there, there used to be some of this, you know, idea of just the opposite, right? That individuals kind of bring out the worst in each other. And unfortunately, there's a tipping point where that does occur. Mm. In fact, it used to be called something like the blueberry effect or something. I don't know what it was called, something weird. But it was, uh, Tim, I think in this particular question, I think what we're getting at is this ability to see another person and have uh, the faith in them to also do this Mm -hmm, with you, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And if you find a person who in times of distress or in difficult trauma times or in times in which it's really hard and they live out you know a Christ-centered or a or a world that has a shows a godly discipline man that's the kind of person you definitely want to be around you find yourself around a person who does who struggles well in hard times who still walks the walk and maintains that relationship with God and loves you, man, that's the kind of person you want to be around. And let's speak to the singles right now that are listening in. You definitely want to find a person who you have seen evidence listens to the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Michelangelo effect isn't just human to human. The Michelangelo effect can be the Holy Spirit working on the person's life, right? Chiseling away. So when you're dating a person, you want to have your antenna up does this person listen to the Holy Spirit? Otherwise, you're going to be the person nagging that entire relationship. Man, find somebody who's open to the Spirit, and that Spirit can speak to that person in any relationship or marriage. Uh, Tim, that's great. Um, and I love the ability to, to take some of these topics and, and address what is really some hard questions people face in relationships. Let me just say that this whole podcast is made available 
through the generous donations of listeners like you all. Uh, we're 100% donor funded. And um, a gift of any size will help us keep this podcast going. So, hey, preferably consider sending in a generous gift to the CMR today. To do that, it's real simple. Just go to our website, cmr.biola.edu, and then click the Give Now button. Uh, Tim? And let me just say, for the first 10 people who give, uh, we're (laughs) going to send them a a copy of Between the Sheets, between Dr. Tim Yoloff and Dr. Chris Grace. It's hot off the press. You're going to love it. (laughs) You know, I I do want... Tim, let's start with one last question that I think we have, and it's this same thing. It's this idea of uh, the idea of someone just asked, and I think it's important to see if we can get to this, and it's the idea of casual dating. Um, And some people say, and this person wrote in, that their fear of missing out is leading them to uh, maybe wanting casual hanging out or maybe non-commitment. In other words, they they want casual dating – but that and it's mostly because of fear of missing out what's going on out there in the world and i and i i guess that's not necessarily inappropriate to date that way to learn if that other person has these traits that we've been talking about that are healthy good traits or is it somebody you can see that you want to be around because they bring out the best in you all right so let me mention another study by the university of texas the study would say that the optimal age to get engaged is 27 Okay, for a bunch of reasons. Maturity, you're more mature at 27. Hopefully you have a career, there's financial stability at age 27, all those different factors. Then they said this, I thought this was interesting, but every year after 30, it becomes more difficult because A, you get used to your particular kind of lifestyle, and B, you just can't land the plane. You just can't commit. So what we already said is dating early, broadly, to see what kind of personality types you click with or don't click with, I think is great. But there's going to come a time, remember what we just said, you don't find the right person, you make them the right person. So there's going to come a time where you're just going to have to commit. And this is what's great about being a Christian, Chris, is you ask the Spirit's wisdom. Now, I think you and I might, I don't know if you and I disagree about whether God has one person for you. I I tend to think no. Um, but you certainly can ask the spirits leading. Yeah. Both of you can. So uh, is it a commitment issue? Uh, if it is, then yeah. eventually you're going to find that person. You're, you're going to have compatibility, affirmation of the Holy Spirit, affirmation of your friends. Then you just got to pull the trigger and say, guess what? We're making this work. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. I, I think eventually, um, Tim, with enough time with enough input from from friends i think this is the time to also ask trusted loved ones um oh, yeah. you know parents uh it might be a, you know somebody a, a you know your pastor at church or it might just be a, a colleague somebody that knows you well to really evaluate and look at some things that you may be missing because they might see some habits and patterns in your relationships that aren't healthy and yet they also can serve as just great resources when we're trying to make such a big decision. Dr. Greg Tanelsoff, one of our colleagues here at Biola University, wrote a great book. It won Christianity Book of the Year Award in Christian Living called I Told Me So and it's all about self-deception. And yeah, that scares us in dating relationships, That's doesn't right. it, Chris? We see two people that it is so obvious they're not good for each other, yeah. and yet they're wildly in love, and you just can't speak to them. So absolutely, uh, it's the affirmation of friends who know you well, and I listen to those friends yeah. uh, and seek out what they really think. That's good. 
Have you ever been asked to mentor a young married couple but were afraid to say yes? Thankfully, the Centre for Marriage and Relationships is here to help. The CMR's Marriage Mentoring Curriculum covers important topics like communication, forgiveness and the ever-important sexual intimacy. It even provides tips on when and how to refer a couple for professional help. Sound interesting? Check out the resources page on our website at cmr.biola.edu. So, Tim, here's a question of a listener that wrote in um, asking about uh, this idea in marriage, but it's really, how can, a mar- how can married Christians avoid emotional affairs? Um, I think it's a wonderful question. Um, you could just say, how, how can married people avoid emotional affairs? But let's take what they ask. How can married Christians avoid emotional affairs? I, Tim, I think... How would you define an emotional affair? Let's do that real quick. Oh, good. Yeah, great. Yeah, I would say an emotional affair begins when you start to find that there's another person outside of your spouse who are meeting those deep needs that you have Mm. on an emotional level, such as Mm -hmm. feeling heard or feeling understood, feeling cared for. Mm. They laugh at your jokes and and they kind of get you, while your spouse, let's say, maybe doesn't in a certain do that. And you begin a reliance on that other person to meet some of your deeper emotional needs of feeling things like mm-hmm. listened to, cared for, even worshipped, I guess, a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I would start with an emotional affairs. that. Would you add something to that? Yeah, I would add um, flirty inside jokes, um, things, things I tell this friend yeah. I don't tell my spouse. Yeah, you reveal secrets yeah. uh, to each other and have have secrets and inside jokes. So let's. So the question I think is a good one for all married couples. Uh, how do you avoid that? How, and and I, I I guess the first thing Tim is what we just did is you understand the definition of what an emotional affair is, right? Yeah. You begin to see that I'm sure spending a lot of time with this colleague and I really like them. I like being with them. They make me feel mm-hmm. more alive. They make me. Feel feel more loved. And now all of a sudden, you start finding yourself planning out your day in anticipation of seeing them. And it's kind of regular and scheduled. Maybe it's at work or after work or wherever it is. That's the beginning is when you start to find those things happen. And you add in the shroud of secrecy. Your spouse doesn't know. Maybe they know about this person. They don't know the depths to which you're communicating via social media or you're going to have lunch together or, um, you know, certain things like that. So um, I'm involved in something called the Graceful Warrior Project, which is an awesome project. Uh, We go to hot spots in the world and teach women self-defense. The founder is a phenomenal woman named Kelly, um, single, uh, godly woman and... uh, when she comes over, it's always me, her, and Noreen. Um, I'm on the board of directors, but like Kelly and I aren't going off and having lunch together to talk about things. Right. If I want to talk about things like that, then I would invite her over for dinner, me, Noreen, and her, and then maybe Noreen goes off as we talk a little bit of business. Yeah. But And by the way, we're going to the Congo together, but it's going to be me, Noreen, and her. Right. Noreen feels more, again, we, we totally trust her. She totally trusts me. But just for our marriage, we just, and she loves Noreen and Noreen loves her. But so for me, it would be different 
uh, if it was just us for two weeks in the mm-hmm. Congo, man, mm-hmm. I, I just would say you got to watch that. That's come on. That's an intense situation. Uh, Noreen's not around. Um, so I think it's the secrecy thing. It, it, I think it's okay to have female friends, yeah. but at this stage of but but in marriage, it tends to be a. a that person, if they're single, and me and Noreen. Mm-hmm. Now we have, like, we're great friends with you and Elisa, but Elisa and I aren't going off and playing pickleball together. That's right. Because she'd kick my butt and I'd be real, I'd get mad. <laughs> but you know, so that, I think it does change when you get married. And um, I, to me, the number one indicator that this has stepped into an area is I'm not. My spouse doesn't know the depth of it. Yeah. She just doesn't. And that, to me, is really concerning. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right, Tim. I think you also look when you use the word depth. I, I think people uh, sometimes misjudge that depth. And they believe, oh, no, this is just what normal people do. This is how colleagues interact. And, and you start to rationalize you know, this amount of time that you spend. I would ask and challenge this listener to consider, if, especially if they're the one dealing with it or it's their family or friends mm-hmm. or somebody, is have that person uh, really take a serious look at, are they beginning to think about planning things around their day around this person? Are they looking forward to it? Are they, are they finding that they're just getting more? Uh, and it doesn't have to be physical at all. There might not be any physical contact, but there just is this lively, fun interaction that is consuming a little bit of their time and they're thinking about it on a regular basis. Um, see, see, this is the myth of singleness, myth of uh, marriage that Tim Downs talks about. So I love a, a quote from Chris Rock. He says, when I meet a person, I'm not really meeting that person. I'm meeting their representative, mm-hmm. right? So the, 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 the seduction happens yeah. this way. You leave your house and it's chaos, yeah. right? You got small kids. There's just things happening. There's unresolved conflict between you and your spouse. And, and, but you got to go to work. I, I have to go to work. So you go to work. You walk in. This person yeah. who doesn't really know all of your faults. You now are a representative of yourself. It's her representative, and she laughs at all your jokes. Yeah. And she thinks you hung the moon. Why? Because she doesn't know it's back home. Yeah. And then when you go back home, you step into all this messiness and tension and unresolved this and that. And I think that's what's unfair to your spouse is, hey, by the way, newsflash, we used to be like that. Yeah. Absolutely, we used to be like that. Now I've been married to you for X amount of years, and we know each other's weaknesses. We've had disappointments, and now that's really unfair that you're you're not letting that person see your backstage, and you guys are having a grand old time. That starts to feel really unfair to the spouse who's slugging it out 24-7. Well, Tim, that's a good word and good answers to these things. I, I love it. By the way, this podcast is made available through the generous donations of you listeners. We're 100% donor-funded, so thank you so much. Go to the cmr.biola.edu. If you love what we're doing, uh, click that link and uh, even click the Give Now link. It'd be awesome. In closing, Tim, uh, this podcast is something that 
we would love for people to go and rate us. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, in fact, any share it on your social media. We There was a small technical glitch, and iTunes actually erased 150 of our five-star ratings. And so we need your help. Listeners, go back. Some of you gave us a five-star listener uh, rating. Go back and do it again. iTunes, unfortunately, we don't know how it happened. It just happened. But if you like what you're listening to, go back into iTunes. Click that five-star rating. By the way, there's one other thing I'd like to mention. We have free relationship advice. Some of you are hearing some of these things. Single, married, engaged, dating. If you're feeling frustrated or worried about any of these relationships, you're not sure how to handle it, just contact us and you can get free relationship advice. And it's, it's not formal counseling or therapy, but it is an opportunity to bring questions just like these to trusted and trained uh, individuals who can offer wise and biblical counseling on any of these issues. So visit our website, cmr.biola.edu. Click on the yellow banner at the top of our homepage and I'll let you set an appointment with one of our counselors. Tim, it's Thanks, been good Chris. doing this. It's been video. great. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to The Art of Relationships. This podcast is only made possible through generous donations from listeners just like you. If you like it and want to help keep the podcast going, visit our website at cmr.biola.edu and make a donation today.